you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of John, chapter 6. We do have the verses on the screen. We found them, right, Andrew? I see them right there. All right, good. I was getting ready to tell you that we didn't have the verses on the screen, but we do have the verses on the screen. John chapter 6, picking up in verse 59, is where we will be here in just a few moments. You can find that if you're using that Pew Bible on page 1,229. John chapter 6, picking up in verse 59. Here in just a few moments, we will stand and read that together. This week on Monday, I had a root canal. Yes, the rich keep getting richer. God just keeps blessing me with one challenge after another, but I had a root canal, and I'm not the only person in this room who had a root canal this week. Angie, how you doing? You doing good? All right. We, we shared our misery together. I was a couple of days ahead of her, but uh, she had hers, but I had a root canal, and we actually went to the same doctor, so Angie's going to get a perspective on this that the rest of you may not get, because she's been in that office this week with that doctor this week, with these people this week. But as I was settling into the chair to begin a root canal, which was my first, I didn't know what to expect, the endodontist asked me, before he started making me unable to talk, he asked me what I did. And when I told him I was a pastor, he immediately stopped and he called for a couple of other people that were not in the room and he brought them in there and he said, well, maybe you can settle something for us. It seemed as though they had been having a conversation that morning. My appointment was at 11, so I don't know how long this had been going on during the morning. But he said, maybe you can settle something with us. And he called these couple of ladies in there and talking with them. And he said, we've been having this conversation about eternal security. And why don't you tell them what the truth is? He wanted my help in settling the issue. So we chatted for a few minutes, and of course, at least one person easily agreed with my position. You see, I believe that once a person truly comes to know Jesus as their Savior, that Christ grabs a hold of them, and Scripture teaches that they are in Christ, in God, that they will nothing can separate you from the love of God once you come to know Christ, and that once you are saved, you will always be saved. That's what I believe, that's what I told them. I think that's what you believe. I pray that's what you believe. And if you don't believe that, I'm sorry. And we will, we will talk about that more one day. Or you can reach out to me. We'll talk about it any day you want to. But that's what I said. The other person on the other side of the conversation, well, of course, they didn't believe me in that moment. Do you know once a person gets brought up in their ways, it can be hard to change their ways. And I found myself in that conversation. It's hard to move people off of their belief once they have been taught and come to believe something. Whether that belief is right or wrong, we hold on to those things fiercely many times. This week, I also had an opportunity, catch this church, and how the Lord brings people into your life. I had a chance this week to talk to a person who was battling alcohol addiction. I had, a per I had an opportunity to talk to a different person this week who came to me who was battling drug addiction. 
And then I had a person who actually came to the church midweek and chatted with me, and our conversation led this person to admitting that they had an addiction to pornography all this week. And this was just a regular seven-day week. So I'm in the root canal day, and I get talked about eternal security, and then I get to deal with addiction, whether it be to drugs or to alcohol or to pornography. And each detailed these three, their struggles in letting that addiction go. Now, I don't know if you have faced addiction before. I have. And you're going, hold it. You're the pastor. How can you face addiction? Well, let me just tell you that I used to be, and I'm a recovering person. I was addicted to myself. Whatever Jeff wanted, I wanted. Whatever I decided to do, I decided to do. And so it's helped me as I've come to understand my challenges. It's helped me to be able to help other people with their challenges of whatever addiction it is that they have faced. And so they each detailed their struggles. And in seeking to encourage them, every single one of those three, I made this statement. Until you want something more than your addiction, you will never let it go. Let me just make that statement, and you just let it soak in just a little bit. Until you want something more than your addiction, you will not let it go. You will try. Until you come to know Jesus, to believe in him, to yield your life to him, to want him more than you want anything else. You'll not have him, and therefore you will battle your addiction. But once you believe and come to believe in Jesus and accept him, then you will have the greatest opportunity to overcome because Jesus is the only hope of overcoming any, any addiction. You see, I still have battles over my addiction to Jeff. Every day, God is trying to retrain me, and that retraining comes to Jeff you need to want me more than you want anything else. And church, I have found that when I want Jesus more than anything else, he comes to the surface, to the top of my life and guides all the other areas. Now, I'm not claiming perfection here. I'm just claiming that the answer is Jesus, whatever you're struggling with, because I'm learning to want Jesus more and more and more every single day. You see, what you believe shapes how you live. And if you believe in Jesus, truly, really, completely, more than anything else, then that will shape how you live. But if you believe that your addiction is over, that you cannot overcome it, or any other challenge that you're facing, you'll get stuck in it. It's whatever you want the most. And so today in our scripture, we're going to see as a culmination some bad choices and some good choices. I ask you to stand with me as we're going to read from John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 59 to 69. John chapter 6, picking up in verse 59, reads as follows. These things he, that would be Jesus, said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. 
Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Keep your scripture open right there, church. You may be seated. As I mentioned several weeks ago before, when I began teaching in John chapter 4, that uh, I knew that God was leading me to a message in John chapter 6. And you're going, Jeff, it sure took you a long time to get here. But I have loved individually and personally the journey that God has brought us through in John chapter 4, 5, and 6 because he's shaping us to be more and more like his son and to care more and more about people and to share the gospel more and more. And I'm encouraged. I've chatted with a number of you this week who have talked with people or have reached out to me and said, Jeff, I've talked to somebody that you're going to talk with them or I've whatever it is. I, can know, I know that some of you are seriously seeking to share Jesus with others. And for that, I am encouraged. I'm thankful for what God has taught us. And today, we will complete these chapters, John 4, 5, and 6, and the message God wants for us. So keep your scripture up because we're going to be all through John chapter 6. But in verse 59, it said, These things he said... In the synagogue. Now, Jesus had continued teaching. If you'll notice, last week we left off at verse 40, so we have not read verses 41 through 58, but Jesus continued to teach them and it had transitioned, verse 59 says, to the synagogue. You know, we were out, Jesus had fed the 5,000, and then they came and they were outside in a field, and then they came across the water, and Jesus had taught the people there and Right now, in this teaching transition, verse 59 says that Jesus taught these things in the synagogue. So likely, this large crowd that Jesus had been facing had been winnowing away little by little by little over time, and they have navigated their way into the synagogue. Now, unfortunately, not everybody could go to the synagogue in this time. You had to be a Jewish male at this time, to be able to go to the synagogue. So we had as many, as best I could tell, and we were in a synagogue while we were in Jerusalem, and they're not very big, but I saw where some could hold as many as 300 people. But we're talking about a relatively small crowd, but we're talking about a select crowd because these people were either critical of Jesus and keeping up with everything he said, so therefore they needed to really come to know Jesus, amen? Or they were people that were coming to know Jesus and seeking after him and wanted to be near him. 
And it says in verse 59 that these things he taught them. Now, transitioning, I just went through. Let me summarize, and you can follow along with me. If you still have your Bible open to John chapter 6, just go to verse 41. Watch your finger. We'll walk through these together because I want to summarize for you the things that Jesus had taught them in verses 51 uh, leading up to today's Scripture. Look at verse 41. Jesus said, I am the bread of life which has come down from heaven. The phrase come down from heaven, Jesus uses five times in John chapter 6. He's making a point to them, I have come down from heaven. Verse 44, it says that the Father draws people to me. Now, we've used this verse in a couple of our other sermons as we've been walking through John 4, 5, and 6 about how the Father draws people to Jesus. Verse 45, it says that the Father teaches us about Jesus. Now, that's a prophecy. You could go back to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13, where God had promised that he would teach the people about his son. And as verse 44 says, draw them to him. Verse 47, Jesus said, he who believes in me will have everlasting life. Verse 48, Jesus again calls himself the bread of life. Verse 49, it says that the bread of the past had led to death. Now, they were referring to the manna that God had given children of Israel many hundreds and hundreds of years before to sustain them. But that bread, while it sustained them physically, did not sustain them eternally. Verse 50 says, I, Jesus says, I lead to eternal life. Verse 51, now catch this. This is where it gets a little bit challenging. It says, if anyone eats of this bread. Now, we understand what Jesus is saying symbolically here. He's saying, anybody who partakes of me, anybody that accepts me, anybody that believes in me, but Jesus purposefully uses the word eats of my flesh. It's a very challenging kind of statement for us to hear then, and it's probably a challenging statement for us to hear now. But Jesus said, whoever eats of this bread who partakes of me will live forever. Verse 51, he says, I will give my flesh for the life of the world. Now, Jesus continued all through his teaching to show us, as we talked about in Sunday school today, Jesus had continually told his disciples, those that were following him, that he came for a greater purpose, that he came down from heaven, that he was going to give his life, that he was the Son of God, the Messiah. And so in uh, verse 51, Jesus alludes to his crucifixion, I will give my flesh for the life of the world. Verse 53 stresses it again. He says, unless you eat this flesh of the Son of Man, you will have no life unless you believe, unless you partake, participate in, take into your life. And verse 54, whoever eats my flesh, and he goes on to say, and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now, we know without even having to speak this that we're not talking about cannibalism. We're not talking about uh, real flesh and blood. Jesus symbolically has already brought us from himself to the bread, and the bread, to abiding and abiding, to taking him in to our lives. And that's what we need to hear and understand. But in those, all of those statements in verses 
41 through 54 is the last example I gave you. Jesus is clearly positioning himself as one, being the Son of God come down from heaven. Two, coming to pay the penalty for sin. Three, he's positioning himself as better than all things that have happened before. And then he positions himself many, many times as the only way to the Father. Now, John 14, 6, you know, we seem to, we, we pull on this and it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you know that John 14, 6 is but an echo of what Jesus has said over and over and over and over again in his ministry? I am the bread. I am the water. I am the door. I am the way to the Father. And Jesus is clearly teaching this. And then these scriptures in verse 41 through where we are today, they tell us that while Jesus is teaching these things, they give us insight as how the people are feeling. Look at verse 41. The Jews then complained about Jesus. They complained specifically here about him claiming to be the bread of life. Verse 42, it says, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph? They're questioning who Jesus says he is, his claim of coming down from heaven. You know, I stopped for just a second, and we need to do this because every now and then, if we're not careful, we will take things out of context and we will become harsher on people in this day than we are harsher on ourselves. But can you imagine the struggle that it would take to have been somebody who saw Jesus born, saw his brothers and his family and his sisters and his mother and his father and Nazareth and growing up and him then claiming to be something that they couldn't quite figure out because they've seen him since he was a baby. I bet this was a hard thing for them to take in. We, on the other hand, we don't have any problem with this, or at least we don't act like we have any problem with this. We just read in this page, Jesus came as a baby. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, and we just keep right on going. I think because we have the full revealed word of God and we are in the post-resurrection era, that we've actually got it easier than those in the first century. Just imagine having to get over this. Jesus said, but, but isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? You know, everybody's going to have to let go of something that they think they've gotten figured out before they'll really grab a hold of Jesus. This is one of those things that they had to figure out. Verse 43, so far they have complained and they've questioned. Verse 43 says, Jesus answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. You know what that means they were doing? Well, yeah, you do. They were murmuring among themselves. I went and looked up murmuring just to make sure I understood it, and it is to talk quietly and away from Jesus. So they had sort of, a group of them had sort of gotten over here, and they're going, I don't get what this guy's saying. How in the world can... And they were murmuring. They weren't having a pep rally. They were murmuring. And Jesus said, don't murmur among yourselves. You know, that's really cool. 
We studied again in Sunday school this morning from John chapter 16 that Jesus knew. He knew them. He knew their needs. He knew their issues. He knew their questions. He knew everything. And because of that, we can turn to him for anything. Do you ever murmur? Think that you could just walk away from God and his word and go, okay, it's not Sunday morning and I'm not in Sunday school and I'm not in church and it's not my devotional time and nobody's around, but man, this God thing really just doesn't make any sense to me. Do you ever murmur? If you murmur, Jesus has just told us right there, don't murmur amongst yourself. You know what he didn't say? He said, he didn't say don't murmur. He said, don't murmur amongst yourself. If you've got questions, if you've got needs, if you've got things that are concerning you, step toward me. Allow me to help you through this. Look at verse 52. They have complained. They have questioned. They have murmured. Verse 52, it says, And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves. Now they're starting to turn on each other just a little bit, and they're trying to figure things out, and they're quarreling with each other. And so Jesus is teaching the absolute truths of eternal life. And the people who do not yet believe or the people who say that they're following Jesus are complaining, questioning, murmuring, and quarreling. And so it appears to me that We've got a failure to communicate. Anybody just go cool hand Luke on me? You guys remember that movie? What we have here is a failure to communicate. Jesus is doing this, and they're doing that. You ever felt that way? Now, I believe that Jesus, in his teaching, had taught them fully and as clearly as he could for where they were in their spiritual walk and in their intellectual walk of who he was and what plans he had as he was continuing to reveal this out. But look at verse 60 in today's scripture. It said, these disciples, when they heard all of this, they said, this is a hard thing. This is hard. You know what they didn't say? Is, I don't understand. This week, I was communicating with someone via text, and that's always a challenge, but I wrote down in my text answering their question best I could, everything, and I thought I was, as I said in my Sunday school class this morning, I thought I was speaking English when I wrote out all of this. But then I got an answer back, and they go, I don't have any idea what you're saying. We know that communication is hard sometimes, Right? That's why I love my best communication is right here face-to-face. When I went back to school, you know, when the Lord called me into the ministry and I quit my job and I decided, and the Lord called me here, and then I decided to go back to school, I wanted a school where I could go sit face-to-face with people. I didn't want online school. I knew Jeff would not be a good online student. I wanted online. I wanted to sit in class. I wanted face-to-face. I wanted interaction. I want to be able to see eyebrows go up if they're thinking, oh, Jeff, what you're saying is like dumb. I wanted that kind of feedback. But But what they're saying here is they're not saying, we don't understand what you're saying. What they're saying by saying this is a hard saying is that we hear what you're saying, 
We just don't know if we believe it or not. And that's the crux of your entire walk with Jesus. Yeah, it's hard. Jesus said it was going to be hard. He told them over and over and over again, and many of them still haven't gotten it. And the thing about it is, is in today's church, he's told us over and over and over and over again, and some of us still don't get it. But they said it was hard. They didn't say that they didn't understand it. They just said, I'm not sure I believe it. And there's a big difference between not understanding and not believing. In verse 61, it goes on, it says that they complained. Now, we do need to understand that Jesus has transitioned in his teaching from the physical teaching of the bread to the spiritual teaching of the bread, and then the application of himself as the bread. Just like in John chapter 4, that he spoke to the woman at the well about physical water, but then taught her about spiritual water, and then told her that he was that water, that eternal life. They were really struggling with, eat this flesh. It says in the scripture there that they were going, how in the world can we eat this flesh? Let me give you a Jeff summary of what I think scripture is teaching. Jesus had said in John chapter 4, if you don't drink of the water that I bring, if you don't drink water, Physically, you die. We know this, right? Jesus said, I'm the water. Jesus had said, and if you don't eat the physical bread, you die. So if we don't eat or we don't drink, we all understand that we don't live very long. And Jesus is saying, if you do not receive me, all of me, fully me, And what I'm going to do for you on the cross, broken body, shed blood. If you don't receive me, you die. He doesn't make it much more complicated than that. I'm the bread, I'm the water. I'm the one who brings you to the Father. Without me, you die. With me, you live. Jesus has firmly positioned himself through this teaching as the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven, the only way to forgiveness, and the only way to eternal life. Not laws, not ceremony, not history, not my grandmother, not good works, not trying hard, nothing but Jesus. And in this world today, in 2022, that's hard. And Jesus even says in that day, in verse 61, he says, does this offend you? Are you offended by this? Now, these are the people that are following Jesus. Scripture tells us that these are the people that are following him, the people that have seen him do this. And the Scripture calls them disciples. The word disciples is used two different ways in this Scripture. One is those that follow in general, and then those disciples of the the twelve. And you can see that in both terms. But we are told that following Jesus has been challenging, has been hard, and can complain. And Jesus said, and there are some of you who do not yet believe. 
Jesus tells them that the main problem they have is lack of belief. Jesus knows the heart of each person. And here's one of the saddest scriptures that I will ever be able to show you. Where a very big mistake was made. Perhaps eternal mistake. Look at verse 66. After complaining, questioning, murmuring, after all of these things, verse 66 says, and from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They walked away from Jesus. They could not handle his claims. They could not surrender to his teaching. They simply did not believe. And here's where I want to make a statement that I wrote down that was my statement of the week. You might want to write, I'll say it more than once. If you do not believe, you will not stay. If you do not believe, you will not stay. I could tell you of people that have called First Baptist home that no longer go to First Baptist, nor do they go anywhere. If you do not believe, you will not stay. Jesus is teaching them a great truth. Until you want Jesus more than anything, you will not stay sold out, seeking, following Jesus at all costs. Jesus said, does this offend you? It could be the teaching that offends you today. It could be the conviction of the Holy Spirit that convicts you and offends you today. It could be the Scripture teaches that we need to die to self that offends you today. Could be what you must give up in order to follow Jesus offends you today. It could be what you must take up in order to follow Jesus that offends you today. It could be that the exclusive claim of Christ as the only way to the Father offends you today. But if you do not believe, you are offended. Or let me say that opposite. If you are offended by the claims of Jesus, you do not yet believe. Because when you believe, you stay. And when you don't believe, it's just a matter of time before you wander away. And then it got real for the 12 disciples. We read this. Jesus said to them, after verse 66, where many walked away, Jesus looks at the 12, those disciples, and he said, do you guys want to leave too? It got real for them. Church, this is the question. Jesus is asking them, do you really believe me? Or do you want to leave too? And then Peter, good old Peter, speaks up for the group, and he says in verse 68, no way. Oh, is that what it said? Yeah, that's what it says. He says, no way. What he, is, what he does say, he says, where would we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. They're going, where else is there to go? Church, can I tell you, there is no other place to go than Jesus. The world's trying to find it every which way they can, but there is no other way to go than Jesus. And these disciples, they go, Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Look at verse 69. He says, we have come to believe and know you are the Christ. Believe. When you believe, you stay. When you don't believe, you walk away. They believed. So they said, we're staying. Do you know when you get to the point of believing, I'm talking about buying into everything Jesus is teaching. When you get to that point, when you sell out, when you settle your direction, it is the only thing that makes sense to you. Do you ever remember a time when the gospel did not make any sense to you? And now that you've come to fully believe and know Jesus, you're going, it makes crystal sense. How could anybody see it any other way? Belief. Faith. When it happens, it's real. I want to point out one thing about Peter for just a second. He spoke, as he probably did a lot, for the group of disciples. Where would we go, Peter said. Peter is making a statement that says that each man in this group believes. Where would we go? We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ. He's making a collective statement about how each of us believes you are the Christ. And church, I would love to say that on this Sunday morning, on the phone, online, in the balcony, in the pews on the floor, I would love to make a collective statement that we all believe and have come to know that Jesus is the Christ. But can I tell you that the position and the statement that Peter made was dangerous and it was not accurate. If you still have your Bibles open, look at verse 70. Then Jesus answered them. He's replying to Peter's collective comment about them, but he says, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the 12. Jesus says, one of you doesn't believe and will not be staying. Now, we know this plays out. Because, see, if you believe, you stay. If you don't believe, you walk away. Now, verse 71 tells us that Jesus was referring to Judas, but in that moment, Jesus is not giving Judas up to the group we get insight from the inspired Word of God that the disciples didn't have in that moment. Do you know that Judas must have been a really good-looking disciple? And I'm not talking about handsome. I'm talking about he must have fit the part. 
Jesus just said, one of you is going to betray me. And we know that what we'll study maybe this week coming up, that that is not revealed until the night of Jesus's arrest. And so we got a lot of time that's happening here. And the disciples in John 17 and 16, they don't know who it is yet. So Judas had a really good look about him. He would probably look like a disciple, walk like a disciple, talk like a disciple, said the words of a disciple, did all of this stuff. But yet Jesus goes, one of you doesn't believe. And so here's the challenge. I told you that when I started John chapter 4, I knew I wanted to. I knew the Lord was leading me to get to John chapter 6. He was getting me to right here. Here's what I believe is the final thing. I've I've been telling you for weeks, and we've been building up gospel, 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 church, 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 church. We've been doing all of this. And I've been telling you for weeks that God has something big planned. And he's waiting on us. And I have come to recognize in these weeks that I'm not so sure that God is waiting upon us well-believing, too busy people to make room for him, to let go and say, whatever you need to share the faith. You know what I think he's waiting on? He's waiting on the church to believe. You see, Jesus, at the core of it, was challenging everything these disciples that were following him believed about what the future would be like. And when Jesus changed all of that, and it started becoming clear that this was going to cost way too much, a lot of people just said, uh-uh, it's not for me. Here's what I believe. I still believe that God is ready to do something big. I see it in some of you. You're starting to change. You're starting to work. You're, starting, you're letting me know, how hey, I did this, I did this, I did this. You know what God's waiting on? The rest of us. And you're going, Jeff, so are you saying that there are some that may not truly believe in Jesus in this room? You better be careful. You start talking words like that, I might not come back. Well, Scripture taught that if you don't believe, you won't stay anyway. I don't mean that facetiously. I'm just saying that the truth of God's word says that we can look like we believe and then not. And so my point is, is that I believe that revival and an outpouring of God's spirit will happen in our community once revival and the outpouring of God's spirit happens in our church. Some of you come to me and they're going, Jeff, how long is it going to take before we all just jump in and do it? You've been preaching hard and preaching hard and preaching hard and Scripture is saying the same, and yet we just continue being faithful. Church, God wants to do something big. And I think all of these weeks have been to prepare us to make sure that our hearts really believe.
That's a challenge, isn't it? Those are probably hard words. And as a pastor, you know, I, I need to say them. I want to say them. But at the same time, I recognize that that could be offensive to somebody. So you're questioning what I believe? I'm not. I'm just calling you and giving you the opportunity to make sure that do you believe and are you sold out to the Jesus that has been defined by Jesus in his word? Because you know what happens when we buy into that full Jesus? Our lives change, right? And a room full of people whose lives are changed will be a group of people whose lives are changed, will be a church that is changed, will be a community that is impacted by a church that is changed. And isn't it quiet in here? This Sunday is Easter. A week from today is Easter, where we will celebrate the crucifixion, the resurrection of our Savior. We will celebrate the payment for sin forever. We will celebrate forgiveness and redemption. We will celebrate victory over death. And our community, they need to know the truth of Jesus. And it starts with us. This is about as raw, raw church we need to do something as I get. Because I trust God to be working in and through you to do this. But I really want to encourage you. Does this offend you? Or are you going, I'm not offended. I'm convicted. And I want to live. I want my life to count. Church, I can tell you right now that that addiction to Jeff that I battle, it's not over. Every day I battle it. So I know you got your own battles. The only answer is Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you believe you believe all of me. If you don't believe all of me, you can't believe any of me. And that's why he kept bringing it home to them. So church, our community needs this church to step forward in an aggressively powerful way to share the gospel. And the only way that we can be that church is if everybody here believes. And it is still quiet.